Hello, everybody. Welcome to the mailbag. It's myself, Marcus Speller, and that man stoking the fire, wearing a magnificent flannel, unbuttoned down to the third, and uh, a beer in hand. It's Andy Brassel. Well, of all those things that may or may not be true, stoking the fire at the height of summer, what sort of man do you want me to think the Ramblers... Do you want the Ramblers to think I am? I just thought I, I, I wanted to paint you as a manly man, a guy who's playing with a fire, you're wearing a lumberjack shirt, you're drinking a beer, and you've got it unbuttoned down to a, a suitable sexy level. I don't know why, but for a minute I just thought you and I were alone in a cabin with the listeners pressed up against the window thinking, what? how's Andy going to respond to that? Putting their requests through the letterbox and me reading them out going, oh, Andy, this is uh, what uh, such and such has asked. This is what uh, uh, Chubby Bubbles wanting us to do now. <laughs> and our favourite DJ friend has uh, requested something, so don't worry. Well, that's good to know. Um, mm. Just to set minds at ease out there, it is um, an appropriate thickness of lumberjack shirt. So yes. very much angled towards, you know, <laughs> summer in Scandinavia. Yeah, northern Scandinavia. Yeah, absolutely. The top tip of Norway. Yeah, there's there's a gushing stream outside. <laughs> and um yeah, we've uh we we we're getting some um some meats on the barbie, right? I indeed we are, Andy. Um yeah. so yeah, apologies for all that crap ladies and gentlemen. It is the mailbag, don't worry. <laughs> and uh That's what and, people tune in for. Don't apologize for it. <laughs> you and you and I don't drink, Andy. We've got no excuse for this really. <laughs> Apart from stuffing ourselves full of... No, I won't say that. Um, let's get straight to the questions, shall we? Let's start with Tyler. Now, Tyler, we mentioned your question, of course, the other week uh, because you asked about Hamburg and you said, you know, it, it, we're wondering if they if they will or will not get uh, promoted. Well, of course, Tyler, we know the answer to that. And we appreciated your response to our response in uh, in the in the channel, the mailbag channel and Discord. So Tyler's question was to remind ourselves, if Hamburg don't go up this year, which is a which which appears that they 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 buggered that one up, Tyler, isn't it? Uh, where do they go long term? I was under the impression that they have been pouring every resource into getting back to the Bundesliga ASAP. Well, Andy, of course, Hamburg were battered the other night, five one, and they're not going up. Yeah, and um, in terms of fitting in with the mailbag, it's jolly good of them to emphatically bugger it up before we got to this week's <laughs> mailbag because if it was still up in the air with our recording yeah. schedule um we wouldn't be able to deal with it really would we because mm. of course they'd, they'd still be halfway through the playoff which as we're recording i'm going off to do co-commentary on later between Werder bremen and heidenheim who, who did mm. finish third in the event in the bundesliga and uh, thus take part in in the playoff even by hamburg standards this was quite a spectacular flop yeah. so if, if you bear in mind that going into the the, the, the final game of the season um, Heidenheim had stolen the initiative from them by scoring a goal in the last minute of stoppage time in the game between Heidenheim and Hamburg on the penultimate Sunday which had meant that Heidenheim leapfrogged Hamburg into uh, third place um, Heidenheim obviously a club with uh, far less resources uh, renown never won the european cup for example that's one of the the, 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 the many things that, that that separate the two um but and up to this point hamburg had not just shot themselves in the foot with that late goal but they conceded a number of other late goals just in the period 
following the lifting of the shutdown. So in the bit between the lifting of the shutdown and that game against up to and including that game against Heidenheim, so before the last game of the season, they'd um, let 12 points go from winning or drawing position, uh, from winning mm-hmm. positions, which is really quite an effort in such a short space of time. Um, so really, they could have been automatically promoted. They were reduced to trying to scrape a place in the, in the, in the playoff mm-hmm. in the final game of the season. As it happened, Heidenheim went to Armenia Bielefeld, uh, the champions, who were again brilliant on the final day. Uh, they belted Heidenheim, who do have difficulty on the road, 3-0. And so all Hamburg had to do is get a draw with mid-table Sandhausen. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Sandhausen... Um, it's a mid-table team, lower mid-table team from a small town who are really punching above their weight to be at that point in the second tier. Uh, I remember when uh, Luke and I were out in Germany recording for At The Match in February, uh, our guide, the excellent author, uh, Uli Hesse, who we also mm-hmm. did a ramble meets with, uh, he um, said to me, yeah, I can never really figure out how Sandhausen stay there because it's quite a small <laughs> nondescript town and if Uli comes out with something like that if it's a mystery about German football that he can't work out it really yeah. is something spectacular so in the circumstances they just had to get a point at home to a, a Sandhausen side who are far smaller have nothing yeah. to play for they sounds like an easy up- task Andy well, it's an easy task for Hamburg if that task is to lose 5-1 at home, <laughs> which is exactly what they did. The icing on the cake uh, was the fact that the final goal was scored by uh, former Hamburg legend uh, Dennis Diekmeyer. Dennis Diekmeyer, a 30-year-old right-back who had never scored a professional goal until a month before, and so... He got to 30, got to, what, 300 games into his pro career and finally scored a goal. A goal that was so fabled that uh, Sandhausen have produced T-shirts with uh, Diekmeyer celebrating the goal with not just the date, but the actual time on the clock. Uh, yeah. which he scored and yeah a month later he comes back and scores a goal against his old club Hamburg to really rub salt in the wounds if you are looking on the Sandhausen website you will mm-hmm. note that they're currently sold out but I'm sure they'll have <laughs> the <Deep Meyer> t-shirts <laughs> back because we, look, we want to see pictures of you wearing them um, on, on the discord people they look absolutely fantastic and mm. uh, yeah, he's a bit of a cult figure Dennis Diekmeyer. Um so um, as per the question, yeah, Hamburg did pour a lot into to, to trying to come back up um, because, of course, um, until the start of last season, they'd never been outside of the Bundesliga. Bundesliga founded mm-hmm. in 1963. They were the only other presence, um, not Bayern Munich, not Werder Bremen, not anyone else. Um, now, Werder Bremen um, beat Hamburg's record of the most games in in the Bundesliga with the first game of this current season. And obviously they've extended it since and they'll hope to extend it even further if they they stay up in the the, the relegation playoff. But to give you some idea of Hamburg's budget compared to the other teams at their level, it was, I think, about 45 million euros this year. Um, The team that finished bottom of the Bundesliga, Paderborn, have an annual budget of 11 million euros 
So yeah. there is a team in the division above that they have a budget more than four times theirs. Okay. It's it's extraordinary, and clearly um, they're they're a they're a special case because they've come up um, two successive seasons, Paderborn. But yeah, they were absolutely um, going for it. There's 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 no doubt about that, and um, you know there's there's a lot of things that they've they've got to sort out in the meantime. You know they were one of those teams, a bit like. Werder Bremen or Stuttgart or if we compare it um, to an English Premier League situation like an mm. Aston Villa or a Sunderland a team that you know got increasingly close to going down before they actually went they were in the relegation playoff um, themselves twice so they, they're having to have a complete rethink about everything because obviously they're heading for a third successive season in uh the Sviten Bundesliga which is yeah totally unprecedented um they're gonna have to cut the budget a little bit um they've got some loan players like the likes of Joel Poyampalo who've done really well on loan from Werder Bremen they won't be able to keep him they won't be able to keep uh Martin Harnick who they uh, got on loan from Werder Bremen um but also they've got a situation with uh, Dieter Hecking, the coach who globally I think has done a, a, a pretty fair job, but he's now out of contract. So technically at the time of recording, they're without a coach because they're mm. still having discussions with Dieter Hecking. Now, of, of course, part of that is is the timing with the whole delay of the season because his contract expired on, on, on June the 30th. Um, but they've, they've got to figure out how to how to deal with this because um, the other problems they've got is that they've got two, the, the club's two main sponsors have lost faith in, in what they're doing. So Emirates, who sponsored the shirts for what, knocking on 10 years now, I suppose. And also um, the, the, the magnate Klaus Michael Cunha, who has invested in the club for a long time and he owns the naming rights to the stadium. So he, uh, uh, for example, the reason that it's called the, the Volksparkstadion, its original name at the moment, is because mm-hmm. he he bought the the rights to it and decided to give it back the traditional name, which is something really great. Now, mm. on the other hand, he Mark has been Ashley someone... Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. He's just uh, not been doing a Pete Donaldson and uh, advertising Sports Direct and flannels all over it. But (laughs) I I think the the thing is, Kuna's someone who's who's a big supporter of the club. He's quite emotional and he does like a medal. So I think everyone involved with Hamburg, including him, really Mm -hmm. needs to calm down at the moment. They need a little bit of time to think about it, just like they need time to figure out whether they're going to go on with Hecking and whether Hecking wants to continue with them. Um, Emirates, interestingly, they're contracted up until 2022 to um, do the, the, the shirt sponsorship. Um, but they've got a get out um, in the case of no promotion. And it looks like they might take it up this time. So to lose another five, six million of both shirt and um, stadium sponsorship rights, that would be another big blow at the moment. But, you know, tr- trying to spend their way out of things has not worked well for them so far. You know, players that they've signed who've been um, underachievers at a higher level or lone players who the fans don't really feel have a great attachment to the club, there needs to be a real identity built up. And rather than, 
going into each season with the sense of if we don't get promoted, it's an absolute disaster. I think that's something that creates quite a, a, a toxic atmosphere around the club, a toxic atmosphere that already existed before they got relegated. I mean, you look at someone like Bruno Labbadia, who did a great job in the, in the, in the home straight of this season with Herta, and he'll ho- hope to build with them. Um, he was someone who um, was basically forced out of the club, and he was the last coach really that got them to a, a, a decent finish so you know there's just been so much instability just ripping up everything and starting again can't be the solution right at this mm-hmm. moment but if i want you listeners to have one take home from this it's keep checking on the Sandhausen website and see if you can get yourself one of those dennis deekmeyer t-shirts Andy, let's move on to Charlie89, who says, please, please, please discuss Tommaso Bernie, who received his second red card for Inter in 2020, despite not playing a game in seven years. <laughs> and I wanted to bring this man, and I'm glad you said this, Charlie89, because, Andy, this man, Thomas Bernie, or Tommaso Bernie, let's, let's use local currency, though, he once signed for Wimbledon, your beloved Wimbledon. You know what, Marcus, until you mentioned this to me, before mm. we started recording, I had no idea that he'd been on the books at Wimbledon. Absolutely yeah. no idea. And I well, went back as and is looked. tradition, so go on. I went, I went back and looked, and he signed, I think, just coming up to the point where Wimbledon announced when that the, they were going to leave Selhurst Park for, for Milton Keynes. And after that, the football just was a sideshow. Um, mm. In 2001, he went there. So that was yeah. the one he went to He didn't play a game, I don't think. He was very young at the time, but not playing much football certainly is a is a is a theme with old Bernie. He's but a you know substitute what, Marcus? keeper. Yeah. Yes, well, he's he's a substitute keeper par excellence, as 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 you point out, and a, a noble mm. addition to the um, legions of reserve goalkeepers who never really played much for for Wimbledon. Lutz Vanenstiel, he was one of them. Peter Shilton, mm. John Shields. Burridge. Yeah, but these people did play elsewhere, Andy. Yeah, you have a point. Because I, I uh, worked once with a guy who, um, he was an older fella, and I, saw, you know, I asked him how long uh, he'd been working in media and, and so on and so forth. And he said that he used to be a professional footballer. I was like, flipping it, yeah. He said, well, I was at Arsenal for many years, and he was um, number two to Pat Jennings. For, for years at Arsenal. And I was like, oh, bloody hell. And he said, yeah, I, I, he said, I don't think he even played once for the first team. But he was just, I mean, those days, it was a bit different, of course. Um, but I think somebody who's who's a number two goalkeeper, you know, you get a decent wage. I mean, according to one of the papers, he's on 180 grand a year. Now, I, I, that's not a week for crying out loud. He's on three and a half grand a year. But I mean, he is 37 years old, coming towards the end of his career. He's been at Inter for six or seven years now. So it was, it's not a bad gig, I suppose. But you don't think of these characters who are essentially the the supporting uh, uh, cast, if you like. But he just, he's hardly ever played. He plays a little bit, even a handful of games at Lazio and Sampdoria and even Braga in Portugal. But he's quite an interesting character. He got sent off for um, for berating the referee, I think, on the sidelines. So he's he's got a bit of form for this. But he's well, That's also, what you're there for, isn't it? When you're on the sidelines. I think sidelines. so. That's, yeah, that's he's a cheerleader, like, essentially. You're the, yeah, the hype man. Exactly. He's, exactly, yeah. He's, he's quite the character. Uh, he um, and his wife, uh, who, who calls herself Daughter of the Moon on Instagram, is quite a character as well. They they got married in Kenya, 
with an African tribe as their witness. So you can you can see, you know, they're, they're quite at one with themselves and and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he, he um, on his Instagram, he posted uh, not that long ago a naked photo of him and his wife. Don't worry, the bits are covered. <laughs> they, they do keep it above board. And the caption merely says, stay free, stay wild, connect yourself with Mother Nature, who is our home. You see? In fairness, how did it, it not work be... out with him at Wimbledon, Andy? That's what I'm <laughs> I, I guess you'd be dying to get naked in your spare time, wouldn't you? Because wearing training kit for that long must be incredibly yeah. itchy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you never really work up a proper sweat to, to warrant, uh, you know, to swap shirts or anything like that. So yeah, exactly. Spare yeah. a thought for old Bernie. Um, let's move on to Ian M. Bowers, who says, "I'd love a little insight into the career of Fabrizio Micheli. I caught a little bit of him toward the end of his career, and he scored some utterly outrageous goals for Palermo, including that volley slash half volley from miles out against an opponent I can't recall. But I'm sure we can all recall that goal too, Ian. Is he remembered?" as being good, very good, or great in the Italian game? What limited his national team appearances? And has his sentence for extortion aggravated by mafia method at all tarnished his reputation in Italy? Well, on the last point, Ian, I'm guessing so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's something that's really been all Micheli has, has been in the media for for, for, for the mm. last five years so that's that's been a, a huge problem for him I mean he was originally convicted what 2017 and sentenced mm. to three and a half years in prison um, he's not been in yet because he's appealed and appealed and um, it was his, his case was um, his protest sorry was thrown out by um, the appeals court in what the start of this year. Yeah, well, but he's year, appealed. Yeah. He's appealed against it again, so it's it's still very on. much very much alive. Um, he feels it's affected him badly, and you know he's he's been quite clear. He said, "Look, I'm I'm no mafioso." Um, so it is a shame because I mean he was an absolute cult figure. We'll come to mm. the uh, Italian national team part of it in a, in a, in a minute. But uh, he was a player who um, I guess what you would have, you would have called a journeyman in the, in the early part of, mm -hmm. of, of, of his career. Um, but it was really that things caught fire when he ended up going to, to, to Palermo because he was an, absolutely ter terrific player uh, for them led the club to great success had a great partnership with Edinson Cavani at one mm -hmm. point as well when 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 he came and he was someone who um always um had an eye for the spectacular as um as 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 has been said in the question but he was he was also someone who worked incredibly hard for the team and i mean him and Cavani, I can't imagine a worse partnership to defend against. Like, like mm. you would be getting your breath back for the next week and a half. You'd still be out of breath by the time you were playing your ne your next game. Um, so he was someone who really led the team, and he was socially conscious and, and engaged as well. Um, very strongly anti-racist, uh, which was something that particularly stood out in in, in Italy as well. Um, he always said that it was his two years on loan at, at Benfica that really uh, yeah. fired fired his career, and um, it it was it was it was really an in incredible move the way the way it came about because he was um, he belonged to Juventus at the time, 
and um, he was doing everything he could to engineer a move to to Lecce, who he ended up playing with with, with later. Um, and you know, he's he's someone who, who wanted to, to to go back and and, and mm-hmm. play in the south where where, where he's from. Uh, but but basically, Lecce didn't have the money to make it happen, yeah. and he, he ended up going to uh, Benfica, where there was a bit of a an Italian connection because uh, Trapattoni had just just won the league with with, with Benfica there as well in the post Mourinho period, and um, he was someone who was absolutely adored at Benfica, and you know in his, in his first season he was held back by injury a little bit, got going more in the second season, but what was really the jumping off point for for that was when in uh 2006 Benfica beat Liverpool in the in the Champions League at Anfield and he had a, oh, an yeah, absolutely huge part in that Simao yeah. scored the first goal yeah, and yeah. then um Mikoli scored the, the the second goal right near the end this sort of airborne scissors kick which absolutely lives <laughs> in in Benfica history but he he was a player that you could see, you could always see every bit of effort that went in on, on the pitch with him, and the fact that he managed to succeed and succeed well because he'd scored goals for Fiorentina before, but succeed for a truly gigantic club. And you know, you've been to Benfica, Marcus. You know what it's yeah. like. It's oh, when were you, Andy? Well, many times. It's a Bloody stadium. Good time we had. Mm. Yeah, we did. It's it's a, a stadium, the Estadio de Luz, that even when it's two thirds, three quarters full. That atmosphere is big time, and yeah. that was something that really inspired him. And he loved having the crowd in the palm of his hand. Uh, they responded to him; he responded to them. And in fact, he went back to Benfica um, when he was watching. I think he was watching them play Napoli in the Champions League from memory. This was about three or four years ago, and um, the club's press officer showed him onto the pitch and. Uh, he was interviewed pitch side. He was really warmly welcomed by members of Benfica staff that were there when he was there, which was what a decade before at the, at the time. And he was, he's quite an emotional guy anyway. And he was absolutely overwhelmed by it. And every opportunity he gets, he says, Benfica was like, like my favorite point of my career, actually. So you may think, you know, you, you go deeper into his career in Palermo where he was the captain and one of the best players in in, in Serie A and you, you think that was the apex of his career but he always says and he's always at pains to stress without Benfica I, I'm not getting to that point in in, in mm. the first place and now to go on to the international part of his career it's really it's really interesting because um uh, it, it's been written about uh, at some length. It's, it's all out there already. That um, it's been reported in in some places that basically um, Mikoli had a, a fallout with um, Luciano Moggi, and um, uh, the infamous Luciano Moggi, I should say. And yeah. um, Moggi had, had, had said to him, "Look, if if you continue to to cross swords with me, I'll make sure you don't get picked for the Italy team again." And um, he said that that was the reason he thought that 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 he didn't get picked. He thought it was it it was it was cronyism. Um, I think on the other side of it, for for balance, we have to say one that was never proved, 
And two, you look at the other players that were available to, yeah, to, to Italy in, in that time. I mean, there were some incredible Italian strikers that, that didn't get in, in the national team. And you look at the point where he's really smashing it in Serie A. And you have to say, Benfica might be a pivotal point for him. You are never an Italian forward smashing it in Portugal, getting picked for the mm-hmm. Italy national team, unless you've already done it consistently in yeah. Serie A, which he hadn't by that point. You know, he was still very much a, a growing player and a, a late bloomer, I suppose, in in, in many ways. So, um, whereas I think you can look at Mikoli and you can look at lots of his goals and you can look at the inspirational figure that he was for Palermo and think, why didn't they get that guy in the national team? Look at who else they had to to, to pick from. I think you have to mm. you have to give it a bit of balance. Whatever happens to Mickley, we've always still got that goal, Andy. That absolute which, which of one? Goal. <laughs> so that we many. mentioned earlier. So um, many. The one for yeah, we we know just YouTube Mickley goal. It'll be there. Don't worry about that. Um, right, <laughs> we're going to finish with DJ Chubby Bubble on those questions. E. And uh, old Chubby has said, Gooty has been sacked by Almeria, despite only being four points off automatic promotion to La Liga with six games to go. As someone with a passing interest in the club, I don't know much about the situation, but this seems very harsh. Can Andy shed any light on the state of play in Andalusia? Well, firstly, uh, Chubby Bubble, if um, Gooty himself was here, which I know is a bit of a stretch, but go go with me for a minute. As I said on the ramble, um, maybe last week, uh, he won't be called Guti anymore. Now he's a coach. You have to call him by his full name, Jose Maria Gutierrez. Yes. That is that is important, and he's very important. he's he's very firm on that, and he's he's been a very firm gentleman uh, through, mm-hmm. throughout his career. Of course, um, it does seem harsh that that he's been fired. Of course, his record is is nothing to write home about although he's mm-hmm. we're working for a relatively small sample size as you say he's quite close to um the automatic promotion spots but um al maria were taken over at the start of the season by uh, turkey al sheikh uh who has been involved in sports in saudi arabia and is heavily backed mm-hmm. um at the start of the season and um, they, they poured a ton of money in. I mean, they have got like, the second, third biggest budget in, in, in the Segunda. So oh. for, for them, uh, they, they don't want the um, lottery of the playoffs. Also, it's not just Gooty on his own, who's um, been dealt with quite strictly. It's the third coach they've sacked this season. Yeah. So it's it's not just him on his own. So <laughs> Al, Al Maria are pretty close. At the time of recording, uh, they are only a point behind Zaragoza, who are in second place. The first two go up automatically, and then it's pretty much like the championship below that mm-hmm. uh, three to six playoff. Um, so um, yeah, they're, they're, they're a point behind pl- having played a game more. So they're close-ish. Obviously, the fact that they're getting through coaches like biscuits probably means that they haven't got the greatest stability in that sort of situation um but the expectation from the boardroom is absolutely huge all we do know 
going forward for Guti is that he's someone um, who's had really great experience. You think he was not only involved in, in coaching at Real Madrid, but he was um, assistant to Senor Gunesh at um, Bajiktas. So he's someone with quite a wide palette of experience. And if he comes back somewhere a little bit more sane, maybe we'll get a better idea of of what you can really do. But Marcus, I, I know you've got a burning question about mm-hmm. something else to do with Guti. I do, yes. Do you think that Karen Benzema's assist against Espanyol for Real Madrid was better than Guti's assist for... Did, he laid it on for Karen Benzema, didn't he? He Guti's, did. That, that he, famous he did. back heel. So which, which do you think was... Be- I still think Guti's is better. The reason for that is because Guti could have just put the ball in himself. And so he, but he, all he did is just increase the chances of them scoring. I understand that's what football's all about. But like, if Guti had messed that up, you'd have gone, why on earth did you not just hit that yourself? <laughs> and that is the kind of the, the indulgent beauty of it. Whereas Karen Benzema, if he'd have tried that and it had not come off, you'd have thought, oh, it was just a bit unfortunate. Or, you know, I see what he tried to do there. Functional. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was brilliant, but it was the, the sensible play to make. From mm. from Benzema, I'm not sure there are many other strikers that can do that. Like very much with with Karen Benzema, very much of what he does. There's there's stuff that he does that you, you think, yeah, I, d- I don't see a lot of other strikers doing that. But Guti, I mean, he's got a whole catalogue, whole back catalogue really of, of of these 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 back heels. There was there was one for Zidane in a game at the Bernabeu, wasn't there? I forget who that was against, but that was that was fantastic. Mm. But this one at Deportivo La Coruña, because it's been such a raging debate in Spain, whose is better out of Guti's or Benzema's? Of course, Zidane said after the game that it was Benzema's. I went back <laughs> and had a had a look because, you know, memory is a funny thing and you forget a few aspects of the detail. Firstly, that game at Deportivo La Coruña, the Riazor, rains a lot yeah. in La Coruña. Yeah. The pitch was a pudding. So yeah. to even have the balls to try it in the first place, I think was was very impressive but you're right because you expected him to go through and score it the brilliant thing is when he back heals it Benzema almost misses it because he has to do this little readjustment he's like shit why are you passing to me yeah <laughs> and then he readjusts his body weight and manages to put it in so even though it looks like a tapping for Benzema it's actually a pretty good finish but in terms of flashness no contest Guti all the way yeah I completely agree I do. I, I that that Guti assist is just because it's actually quite a ballsy thing. Normally, an assist yeah. is if it doesn't happen, then oh well, you're a bit unlucky or something. But to make to have an eye catching assist uh, where you didn't think there should have been an assist. If you think about some of the best assists, you know that Kaká pass to Crespo in the Champions League final. Yeah. Well, again, like he's not expected to make that. Um, but you can see what he's trying to do. But if it doesn't come off, you think, oh, well, yeah, so that was rather difficult. But that, I think that's it with Guti. You think, what is he doing that for? Oh, wow, that looked incredible. It, it was almost as if you give him the goal for it, if you see what I mean. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. All agreed, Andy. All agreed. Well, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. We've come to the end of the mailbag uh, for another week. Thank you very much for your questions. Uh, it's been uh, a pleasure talking to you, Andy Brassel. So thank you very much indeed. Thank, thank you, you. listeners. Yeah, get your questions in on the old Discord or tweet them or email them. You know all the ways to do it. There is no excuse. We'll be back again next week with another mailbag. See you then. Poi Lopez 
ancora il cross per Miccoli Lecce in vantaggio e se ci aspettavamo il colpo di testa di Zigoni invece proprio lui Fabrizio Miccoli il più piccolo l'ha piazzata proprio a fil di palo Lecce in vantaggio al 22esimo ecco il campione non ha dovuto neanche saltare comunque ha colpito This was a Stakhanov production.